Good morning, familia. My name is Hannibal Rodriguez. I want to welcome you again. Those of you that are here, I got to tell you, you guys look amazing today. Smell amazing. Some of you. I want to welcome all of you that are worshiping with us online. You are welcome to Witten Bible Church as well. And this is week three of our Advent series. And we have been looking uh, into one passage, one passage alone. I said chapter nine. And we're learning and exploring and meditating on these names given to Jesus. And what I have been doing for the last three weeks is giving you different statements about Christmas, about Advent. Why is it that we celebrate as Christmas Advent? The first week, I told you that Christmas is both the most, effect, uh, the most offensive and wonderful message ever proclaimed. Last week, I said that Christmas is about the wonderful counselor of truth and tears. And today, we're going to be looking, and the statement is that Christmas is about the mighty God who came to redeem and redefine the concept of power. People might say, why would you talk about power in Christmas? Because we're going to talk about the mighty God. So I'm going to ask you to please stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to re be reading Isaiah chapter 9. Today, we're reading verses 1 and 2, verse 4, and verses 6 and 7. Verses 1 and 2, verse 4, and verses 6 and 7. If you're still here, could you please say, I'm here. I'm here. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. <laughs> Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Nephtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Verse 4. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, a bar across their shoulders, uh, the rod of their oppressor. Verse 6. Let's read this one together. For to us a child is born. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful that we have you as the one that came to rescue and save the ones in exile, the strangers, the abandoned, the afflicted. We are grateful, Lord, that you are a God that is not indifferent to the pain of your people. And I pray, Lord, that as we open up a scripture today, Lord, we may be able to see the beauty, the magnitude, and the power of having a God of power. Please, Holy Spirit, illuminate our minds, move our affections, so our wills may be affected and live in light of what we already are. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And the church says, Amen. you may take a seat. 
So the question that I'm answering today is, why is Jesus called a mighty God? Why is Christmas about the story of this mighty God? Now, if you have been with us, you already know the context of the text, but just in case there's anyone here that is not familiar with the context of the text, Prophet Isaiah writes this about 700 years before Christ. And God is looking at a group of people and humanity that are living lives without him, and he describes them as people of gloom, discouraged, and disillusion, as people of distress, people that struggle with anxiety and fear, as people walking in darkness and living in darkness. And the prophet Isaiah promises, God promises through the prophet Isaiah, that because our God is not an indifferent God, one day he will send this child, Jesus, so there will be no more gloom, no more distress, and no more people walking in darkness because a great light will break into this world. This is God promising through Isaiah that suffering does not have the last word, that fear does not have eternal power, that emotional and spiritual brokenness at the end of the day will be destroyed. Now, this is all accomplished. Because God Almighty becomes a child, the same son that was given, that comes to establish a new kingdom. That's why the word government is there. A new kingdom under the government of one ruler, which it will be Jesus. That's why the word shoulders is there. And one of the names given to him is Mighty God. Can you say Mighty God? This text shows us this picture of this baby Jesus that is mighty God at the same time, that breaks into our world, that comes into our darkness. But pay attention, church, not to take us away to a different world and let this world burn. He comes to bring his kingdom to this kingdom to establish a new kingdom and to rule as king in this broken kingdom. I hope you didn't get lost there. He's not talking about destroying all of this. He talks about Jesus coming into this world to fix the things that are broken. And you will see more about that in a second. One thing that is interesting, though, about the text is that it gives us um, these compound names, if you will. Right? He talks about wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. And if you were here last week, I explained to you that part of the reason why scholars believe that these names are given to Jesus, these compound names, if you will, is to show us that God is completely God and completely man. That Jesus is completely God and completely man. That Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. Meaning that if Jesus is a mighty God, means that Jesus is powerful, but not like men powerful, but God powerful. That the God we worship, if you're a Christian, is not a wimpy God. Powerful God. Interesting, though, that the word mighty in the original can be translated as an adjective or a noun. Now, I don't know if you guys remember the difference between the adjective and the noun, but I'm going to assume that nobody remembers. <laughs> I'm going to assume that you, like me, did not pay attention in third grade class. 
So just in case, you might remember that the job of the adjective is to modify or to describe the noun. All right, class? The way you answer this, yes, Mr. Rodriguez. Go ahead. <laughs> now, there's a problem with the adjective, though. The adjectives change according to circumstances, right? So let me give you an example. It's, um, in a sentence like, a man is skinny, the adjective can change over time, right? Like in my case, for example, if I want to, let me finish. <laughs> you guys are so rude. If, if I want to lose two pounds, two pounds, people, I have to work out six months from Monday through Sunday. I have to fast for three years in a row. And God forbid that I walk by a fast food place. I gain weight by smelling hamburgers. So if the word skinny here is the adjective, and you apply that to Hannibal, right? That skinny Hannibal could change when I walk by a hamburger place. You see it? I have a friend that this, uh, he doesn't really like when people call him fat or overweight because it's mean. He prefers the word blessed. <laughs> so if that's the case, Hannibal can be overblessed. <laughs> See it? This is the problem with that definition, though, if mighty is an adjective and we apply it to Jesus. That then Jesus' power can be modified, right? And it can change according to circumstances. But then we have an issue because how can we trust and rest in a God in which his power can be modified and changed according to circumstances? This is why we cannot see the word mighty as an adjective. This is the reason why in the, in the Old Testament, the word mighty, when applied to Jesus, needs to be uh, recognized as a noun. Something that cannot be, something that will not change. If applied to Jesus, then this means that the nature of Jesus, by nature Jesus, is powerful. That he cannot avoid being powerful. That nothing can take his power for him, from him. That in every circumstance and in, under every condition, he's still powerful even if you cannot see it or sense it. This is the beauty of Christmas, though. It tells you that the God we worship, the God we remember, the God we celebrate, Jesus Christ, is someone that sees your emotional brokenness. Your spiritual brokenness, your necessity, and not only wants to do something for you, but has the power to do something for you. It is part of his nature. It is part of who he is. This is the crazy thing, though, that he's so powerful. Can you say so powerful? That he saves you from suffering in suffering, and through suffering. Did you catch that? Man, you got to tweet that one. God is so powerful that he can save you from suffering, in suffering, 
or through suffering. See, part of our struggle as Christians is that we only like one of those. We love it when the Lord displays his power by saving us from suffering. But I want to argue that the most magnified display of the power of God is when he saves you in suffering and through suffering. That's when you can taste and see that God is powerful. How else do you explain a person that is dying for Jesus? How else do you explain Paul writing about joy in prison? How else do you explain someone that is suffering like crazy and never denies Jesus? Because God displays his power in Jesus Christ, not just saving you from, but in and through suffering. This is what I learned about myself. I struggle with fear and anxiety and worry and distress, not only when I forget who Jesus is, but how Jesus is. Not only that I forget that Jesus is a mighty God, but that Jesus is powerful even when he is not changing my circumstances. You know that he doesn't need to change your circumstances for you to trust him, right? What he does is he changes your heart. Now, there's another interesting note here when we talk about mighty God. Is that the word mighty can also be translated as hero or warrior. And that's important for us to know because it tells you that Jesus, as a mighty God, uses his power not for his sake, but for the sake of others. His definition of power is completely different, different radically different to the way we see power. See, humanity think about power and position and title and recognition to elevate ourselves, to control people, to dominate, to do all this crazy stuff. But when it comes to Jesus, the mighty God, the eternal, powerful God, never uses his powers for his sake. He uses it for the sake of his people. Amen. Listen, I don't think that it is a secret to anybody that the tendency of, the human being, of human beings is to use the little power we have to elevate ourselves or to serve ourselves. You know how I know that? All you have to do is read history. Actually, read church history, and you will see how many crazy things people do with power. And I, I want to assume that there's people here in this room or listening to this sermon that when you think about God being a God of power, Jesus being a Jesus of power, you struggle because you have been a victim of someone that oppressed you and misused their power. Marriage, friendship, or work. I want to beg that you don't transfer that definition of power to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to invite you to consider that our Lord and Savior, mighty God, does not use his power like that. You know how I know that? I'm going to give you more reasons later on, but for now, it's interesting that when you read the Bible, when you read the Old Testament in specific, you'll find in many verses that the word power, mighty God, and awesome always come together. 
So Jesus, God, is powerful and awesome at the same time. Deuteronomy chapter 10. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome. Can you say awesome? awesome. You know what that means? Beautiful, wonderful, perfect. Nehemiah chapter 9. Our God, the great God, mighty and awesome, who keeps his covenant of love. In the same sentence, power, beauty, and love. You know, the Bible, the, the God of Christianity, the God of the Bible is not a fragmented guy. He can be powerful and not loving. He cannot do that. He cannot not be awesome and loving and powerful at the same time. He's always that. But the New Testament even reveals more because when it talks about Jesus as a mighty God, it describes him as powerful and beautiful and loving and also as gentle and humble. Don't tell me that you don't know someone that has a lot of power and is not gentle at all. Don't tell me that you don't know someone that is, has, has a lot of power and is not humble at all. See, Jesus is like no other hero. Jesus is like no other warrior. Jesus is, is, uses his power in a completely different way. So if you are here and you have been the victim of someone that misused his power or her power, I'm so sorry. But that's not a picture of our Savior. That's not a picture of our God. Second question. Why would I say that Jesus is the mighty God who came to redeem and redefine the concept of power? There's a counselor uh, that I've been reading for a while. Her name is uh, Diane Landberg. Uh, she's been exercising counseling for 45 years, and she's written a bunch of books. One of her, her latest books is called Redeeming Power, and she makes the argument, and I agree with her 100%, that every single human being has been created with power because we have all been created in the image of God. Everyone has some sort of power, right? It's how we use that power that makes a difference. So, for example, she, uh, she uses the example of a baby and her parents. I'm going to, because I got two daughters, so I usually think of girls automatically, right? So, the baby and her parents. And she says that the baby uses her power whenever she uses her voice to get what she needs or what she wants, right? So if you have kids, you're being controlled, just so you know. <laughs> and the parents use their powers to serve and to help the baby. She argues that the problem with humanity is that we misuse the power that has been given to us. But that when we use it right, we understand that that power has been given to bless, to help flourish, not to hurt or dominate others. And the way we fix that is when we uh, use our power the way God uses his power. And we recognize that all human power is delegated by God to us. At the end of the day, we don't define or we don't decide how we want to use what the Lord gave us. 
When we want to use it right, we use it according to God's design and for his purposes and how he intended it to be. Now, the question for us is, can you show us what the power of Jesus looks like so we learn how to imitate him? And I'm going to say, of course I'm going to do that. This is why we're going to see at least three examples from the text on how Jesus uses his power. Not for his benefit, but ours. First, Jesus' mighty God uses his power to defend and protect. Can you say defend and protect? <laughs> Verse 4. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors. All scholars agree that the words yoke and bar and rod is to describe expressions that describe the condition, the physical, emotional, and spiritual condition of God's people without God. And what he promises is that Jesus comes to defend and to protect the oppressed. Now, someone may ask, Hannibal, how do you know that? The Bible doesn't tell you that specifically. How do you know that this is good news for the oppressed? Well, because the, the, the words that, that Isaiah is using here are the same words that we find in the Exodus. You guys remember that? When the Israelites are in slavery under the tyranny of Egypt, and it says that God gave them freedom from the yoke, the bar, and the rod. The reason why I know that Jesus comes as a mighty God to deliver us, to give us freedom, to defend us and protect us is because the, the author of the book of Isaiah is using exactly the same words that we use, that we hear in the story of the Exodus. Now, this is super interesting about that narrative, though, if you know anything about that story, is that the Israelites could not defend themselves. They could not purchase their freedom. Even if they tried, they couldn't do anything to fix their condition. Why is that important? Because he tells us that Jesus came to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Amen. Listen, to modern American ears, that's offensive. Because what we have heard is that we have the power to defend and protect ourselves. How is that going for you? There's only so much that you can do. Now, I want to give you here two implications. Are you ready? It's about to get personal, people. If that is true, if Jesus is the mighty God... If he defends and protects you, listen up, church. No need for you to pretend that you're strong. No need to pretend that you can fix yourself. Listen, I, every single one of us here came here pretending that we're strong. Actually, pretending that we have it all together. Am I the only one? Listen, I got ready this morning. Spent hours and hours in this. <laughs> ten minutes, people. Ten minutes. <laughs> Just to show that I have it all together. 
But my wife will tell you, my daughters will tell you, my family will tell you that there's a bunch of stuff in here that is not together yet. You don't have to pretend. I don't have to pretend. You know how exhausting that is? This week I was reading um, about how celebrities do it. And they said that the most exhausting thing for celebrities is that they have to pretend that everything is okay. That there's no issues, that there's no problems. And the problem is that their brokenness eventually catches up to them. Marriage get broken, relationship get broken, careers get broken, church gets broken. And all because we have a hard time recognizing that we need to be defended and we need to be protected from ourselves and the rest of the world. And this is where Jesus is needed. The second implication, and this is about to get even more personal, is that if Jesus is the mighty God and he defends and protects, then we can assume that he is the ultimate security. Amen? Therefore, there is no human agency, any institution, any political party, and any person in power that can actually protect you and defend you. Hello? Let me, this is crazy. This week I read about this other uh, study done. How modern people, and when I say modern, it's all of us here. Modern people have no issues getting married with a person that belongs to a different religion. That's new. But modern people have an issue getting married with someone that belongs to a different political party. Crazy! Oh, we could worship different gods. Love wins. But let's not worship a different political party. That's an issue. You know why that's our case? Maybe, 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 just maybe. We think that the ultimate security rests in a personal power, a political figure, economics, work, whatever it is. There's something wrong with the way humanity is looking at Jesus and looking at this world. As Christians, our ultimate security comes from the only one that can truly defend you and truly protect you. Jesus, mighty God. Nobody else. Yeah, you could get in glory. Second thing that we could see how God uses his power is that he uses his power to create and sustain. Look at verse 7. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Can you say no end? He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it. Now, this is this. I mean, I say this every week, but this verse is amazing. Actually, the Bible is amazing. But I really like this one. It tells you that when Jesus comes to establish this new kingdom, that's where the government word is there, right? Uh, it says that this kingdom has no end. You know what that means? That when Jesus came, he established a new kingdom, and as time goes by, the kingdom continues to grow. Listen up, church. 
And when we make, and we make, and he comes and, re, and makes everything new, and we're going to say we, heaven comes down and all these things, the kingdom continue, will continue to grow more and more and more and more and more and more and more. Meaning that everything that is beautiful, everything that is perfect here cannot be compared to what is yet to come. Listen up, church. And that when we make it to heaven, when everything is completely renewed, when everything is brand new again, everything that is beautiful will continue to grow more and more and more and more. If you want to get a picture of that, just think about one second. One second, think about an, an, uh, an amazing time or circumstance you have gone through. A moment of profound joy. Three come to mind to me. When I think about the season when I became a Christian, when I saw my wife coming down to me, and when I got my daughters for the first time, I'll never forget those times of complete joy. This is what is interesting, though, that as good as those, those at least the last two, are amazing, they're nothing compared to what is yet to come. So if I'm going to grab, let's say, the example of my girls. So I saw my girls for the first time coming out. I'm, I'm, they look really ugly when they came out. But <laughs> once they cleaned them up, you know, once they cleaned them up and I got to see them, it was just amazing. It was amazing. I got this joy inside of me. But the, but the joy started to fade away, you know, because they started crying and becoming annoying. And they, they started doing all this natural stuff that I, I found nasty, right? Uh, but what it tells me is that that event, that time of extreme joy, I'm going to make it to heaven, right? And in heaven, that will be more joy over more joy over more joy over more joy. Everything that is beautiful and perfect, once we make it to heaven, it'll be more and more and more and more. We have no idea what that is. And yet, that's what Jesus came to bring. Now, the text uses the word establishing to create but also to uphold, sustain. You know why that's so important for us as Christians? If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ. Because God, it says that Jesus never walks away from his creation. You know when people say, oh, this is the worst time in the history of the world. Well, first of all, no. You got to read. Read a little bit of history. This is not the worst time in the world. But just in case you are, you are tempted to lose hope, remember that what he started, he's sustaining and he will complete. We don't have to fight this one by ourselves. Jesus himself is sustaining his kingdom. He is sustaining his kingdom. This is a great part. This is a great place where we, can, we have to remember what Jonathan Edwards said. Your bad things will turn out for your good. Your good things could never be taken away from you. And the best things are yet to come all by the power of God. Amen. Number three, Jesus uses his power to redeem and restore. Verse 7. It says that his kingdom, it talks about his kingdom, he's establishing and upholding it with these two magical words, justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. 
Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time in these two words because we got to talk about those two words later on when we talk about peace. But for now, it's important that we understand that those two words are a description of the character and nature of God. Therefore, it's a description of the character and nature of Jesus. The word justice comes, um, comes from the word to judge. And he paints this picture of this society and this kingdom in which all injustices are dealt with. The technical term is rectifying or restoring justice. Meaning that anybody that is working in like relief, like work relief, one day you'll be without a job. And that's a good thing. Because the kingdom of God is about Jesus coming and bringing justice and rectifying everything that is broken. And righteousness has to do with the right relationship with God and right relationship with the other people. So when you put these two concepts together, it says that the kingdom of God, Jesus comes to bring his kingdom to put all these things together as a mighty God that uses his power to recreate a world in which everything that is broken is fixed, everything that hurts disappears, and everything that brings destruction ceases to exist. Everything completely redeemed, completely restored. That's the story of Christmas. That's why we celebrate Christmas year after year, because we need to remember that. One more thing. I want to show you how Jesus uses his power for a different thing. Jesus uses his power to absorb the evil of this world and to absorb your evil and my evil. This is the Christmas story. Jesus not only came to give us to defend and protect, to create and sustain but also to redeem and redefine. That's the Christmas story. It's the story of this mighty God that used his power to become a tiny human being. The mighty God that makes himself nothing. The mighty God that becomes vulnerable. The mighty God that we find knelt on a cross. The powerful willingly abandoning his power. The defender before the defender before a human court finding no one to defend him. The divine protector utterly abandoned. The one that sustains finds no support. The redeemer is treated like a criminal. The one that brings restoration is completely broken. Why? Because of my evil and because of your evil. To absorb what I deserve and to absorb what you deserve. And why did he do that? Because of love. Remember how I told you that power and beauty cannot be divorced in Jesus? And that power and beauty and love cannot be divorced in Jesus? He loved going to the cross. Even though he knew that he will not be saved from suffering. This is up, church. He will not be saved in suffering. And he will not be saved through suffering. Do you know why? 
So we are always safe, regardless of what he allows or brings or takes away. That's Christmas. Feliz Navidad, people. Let's pray. Lord, what a wonderful, beautiful, and perfect God we have. The one that came in Jesus Christ to display his mighty power. A power that is not bound to circumstances. A power that is not bound uh, to anything. A power that is part of who he is. And a power that is used for the sake of his people, for the benefit of his people, to defend, to protect, to create, to sustain, to redeem, and to redefine. Lord, I, I pray that if there's people here that have never found you as the defender, the protector, as the sustainer, Lord, would you please open up their minds and hearts so they could see what you are offering to them. And for those of us, Lord, that already have a relationship with you, but have forgotten that this is a reality of who you are, please make it clear to us. And at the same time, Lord, we pray that you make of us people that uses what you have given us as a way to reflect you and to point to you and to use the power you have given us for the sake of others. Would you please make that possible in our hearts? Would you please transform us to become the people that we're supposed to be? Would you please help us give to others what we already have in Jesus Christ? And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus and the church says,